Well, good morning, First Baptist Church of Greg Abels. I hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. I hope you were able to spend some time with one another and with family. Um, I hope you enjoyed yourself, and I hope uh, you had much to be thankful for. If you have your Bibles with you, go ahead and open them up to Psalm 88, the 88th Psalm. It's what we're going to be examining uh, this morning on just a standalone uh, sermon. Uh, it's always a joy to gather together, even virtually, um, and, and, and examine God's Word together. So I'm thankful that you're tuned in with us, uh, and so thankful for your participation during this difficult time. Before we dive in and read our psalm, I do want to give you a little bit of a word of warning. If you notice, the title of this message is a psalm for 2020, and I don't think it would be an incredibly controversial statement to say it's been a difficult year. Uh, it's been a very difficult year. In fact, unless, in case you're living under a rock somewhere, let me just tell you uh, exactly what's been going on. We have buried eight church members this year. And if you know anything about this church, that means we've buried eight family members uh, this year. Not only that, but I feel like I've, I've been to, I counted the other day, and I have, have attended closer to 20 funerals this year uh, than not. And that's, that's scary. That's, that's, that's a hard thing to, to wrestle with. Not to mention the fact that we are and have been in a pandemic with the coronavirus since uh, the middle of March, going on nine months now of this crazy, crazy time where we're isolated and many of you have been quarantined and haven't been able to be with your church family. It's been a difficult year. Not only that, but we've had uh, such a time of division in our country. We are more divided probably now than we've ever been. We've had political turmoil. We've had election turmoil. We've had riots. We've had protests. It's been a difficult year. And not only that, it seems as if we've had a gazillion hurricanes this year uh, and have been struggling mightily with, with those things coming every week. Uh, thankfully, we haven't been touched too bad, but we know that many have. And so, again, it's been a difficult year, so much so that many of you probably joined me in, in worrying every time the phone rings because you think, oh, what bad news is coming now? What is happening? So the reason I titled Psalm 88 a Psalm for 2020 is because um, right now during this difficult year, I guarantee you, you are either someone who is going through a Psalm 88 experience or you are loving someone or do love someone who's walking through a Psalm 88 experience. Psalm 88 is one of the saddest songs in the Psalter. Uh, it is one of the most tragic songs you will find in all of the Bible. In fact, Matthew Henry, the great English commentator of the 18th century, he had this to say about Psalm 88. He said, this psalm is a lamentation, one of the most melancholy of all of the psalms. And it does not conclude, as usually the melancholy psalms do, with the least intimation of comfort and joy. But from first to last, it is mourning and woe. Andrew Murray says this about this psalm. This psalm is the most depressed of all of the laments of the Psalter. The writer's distress can be heard from beginning to end. But church family, I want you to see this this morning. This psalm is not one without uh, hope. It is not without hope. And I want you to remember that. Uh, many years ago, uh, a, a man by the name of Carl Truman 
wrote an article entitled, What Can Miserable Christians Sing? And the reason he wrote that article, What Can Miserable Christians Sing, is because he recognized that when Christians were discouraged, the Christians that are around him in church service that were discouraged, when they come to church, they're only given songs to sing that are uh, upbeat and happy. Uh, so he pondered the question, what can Christians who are struggling with the trials and the difficulties of this world, what can they sing if the only songs we sing in church are happy and upbeat? Well, this psalm, in part, is a particular answer to that question. The psalm itself has four parts to it, and we're going to break down those four headings and then look at four encouragements from this song and, and really see the hope that's provided even in the midst of the saddest psalm in the Psalter. So I hope you have your Bibles open, and I hope you'll read Psalm 88 along with me. Let's read this together. Psalm 88, a song, a psalm of the sons of Korah, to the chief musician set to Mahalath Leonoth, a contemplation of Haman the Ezraite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more and who are cut off from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pits, in the darkness, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you have afflicted me with all your waves. You have put, my, uh, put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up. I cannot get out. My eye waste away because of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Selah? Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? Verse 13, but to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. They came around me all day long like water. They engulfed me altogether. Loved one and friend, you have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. First Baptist Church of Grey Gables, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Would you join me in praying over this word this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Lord, we do know that we do not live by bread alone, but we live by every word that comes from your mouth. And so help us to be good hearers. Help us to find the encouragement and hope that you have for us in this psalm, even in this psalm. Father, we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. 
Well, maybe you are of the lot who thinks that Christians don't ever get this kind of soul darkness, or maybe they shouldn't get this kind of soul darkness, or at least that maybe godly, mature Christians don't. Well, here is a man, Haman the Ezraite, who actually led the people of God in worship in the temple. This is one who wrote songs of praise to be sung by God's people in worship, and he finds himself in a place where all of the lights have gone out. He finds himself uh, praying to God and, and, and praying continually to God, though everything in his life is shouting at him, God does not hear you. God does not care about you. God will not deliver you from your troubles. Psalm 88 is the witness of a believer who sees no light at the end of the tunnel. And church family, can I say that some of the most extraordinary Christians I have ever met through whether it be a debilitating illness or a devastating diagnosis or even a more crippling treatment uh, found themselves in a personal tragedy even found themselves exactly where Haman the Ezraite is. And so this psalm has something to teach us. And I want to examine it together. Let's examine it first under this heading. What we see first is a desperate, ongoing, unanswered prayer. We see that in the first two verses. A desperate, ongoing, unanswered prayer. Read verse 1 together with me. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. This psalmist has been pleading, he's been crying. Cried out is a strong Old Testament word in the Hebrew for prayer, but the word carries with it a sense of earnestness, a sense of seriousness. And so this psalmist is absolutely desperate. He's in a very hard place, and so he cries out to God. But that plea for help is met with such deafening silence that the psalmist feels like he is seemingly unheard in his prayers. See, friends, sometimes even strong believers feel as if their cries for help have gone unheard. And just to know a little bit more about Haman the Ezraite, in case you're wondering whether or not he really was a strong Christian, according to 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 31, let me tell you something about the author of this psalm. He was accounted as one of the five wisest men in all the Middle East. In fact, in 1 Kings 4, when God wants to tell you how wise King Solomon was, you know King Solomon, the wisest man who has ever lived, when God wants to tell you how wise King Solomon was, he compares him to Haman the Ezraite. He says he is even wiser than Haman the Ezraite. So this lets you know how deep, how mature, how godly, how profound, how insightful this man was. Yet, this is the psalm, Psalm 88, that he writes a psalm filled with darkness and hopelessness, godly, uh, dear, Jesus-trusting, loving, mature, sanctified believers can find themselves in Psalm 88. Haman the Ezraite certainly, certainly did. And so we see here a desperate, ongoing, unanswered prayer in the first 
two verses. But I want you to notice something that's vitally important. As you look at the second section from verses three to nine of this psalm, though Haman feels unheard, though he wonders whether God cares for him, Haman is absolutely certain of God's sovereignty over his suffering. He is certain of God's sovereignty over his suffering. And as we'll read and look through in verses 3 through 9, essentially, Haman is saying this, Lord, you've done this. You are the one who's doing this. God is behind this. Haman feels like he is one foot in the grave, and he feels as if he's being pushed there, and he is identifying the pusher as God himself. Listen to what he says in verses 3 and 4 in your text. Look with me there. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength. And then what does he say in verse 6? Look at verse 6. He says, you have laid me in the lowest pit. Verse 7, your wrath lies heavy upon me and you have afflicted me with your waves. You have put away my acquaintances from me. You have made me an abomination to them. It's like that old spiritual hymn, right? Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. But he ends the sentence by saying, you are the one who has put me there, Lord. See, this psalmist never considers for an instant that God is not in control of his suffering. That is not one of Haman's explanations as to what is going on here. The psalmist does not doubt for a moment, a singular moment, that God is in control. And that's important, friends, because very often when we encounter trials and difficulties and struggles in this life, deep ones, deep, severe trials in the Christian life, we are tempted to think that God is not in control. In fact, some people often try to encourage us by telling us that God is not in control. They'll say, God had nothing to do with this. He didn't know anything about this tragedy. He didn't see it coming. He's going to aid you, he's going to comfort you, but he's not in charge of your trials, he's only in charge of your good. But Haman the Ezraite, one of the five wisest men in the Near East, he did not believe that. He believed that God was completely in charge of everything, including his troubles. So it's not one of the ways that he deals with his troubles to push God away from his troubles and say, you don't have anything to do with this. No, he goes to God as the sovereign one who rules over heaven and earth and even rules over the difficulty of his people. So God is certain. He is certainly sovereign over these particular struggles and yours as well. Third. The third heading of the psalm, verses 10 to 12, it breaks quite nicely here. Now we see a really a truly searching, profound question. You can see why this man is considered one of the wisest men of scriptures. You would expect a wise question to come from such a wise man. That's what we see third, a searching question about God's glory and death. A searching question trying to relate God's glory to death. Here it is in verses 10 through 12. Here's his question. God, how can I live for your glory if I'm dead? 
That's his question he ponders before God in the midst of his struggles. God, how can I live for your glory if I'm dead? I know that I am put here on planet earth to live for your glory, God. I know that man's chief end is to glorify God. I know that whether we eat or we drink, we do all things for the glory of God. That is why I'm put here. I'm put here to praise you, not when I'm just leading people in the temple to praise you, but in every aspect of my life, I'm to give you glory. How in the world am I going to do that if I'm dead? That's his question. It's the question he asks in verses 10 to 12. He says, will you work wonders for the dead? You know, when I'm, when I'm dead, Lord, how are you going to answer my prayers? How are people going to see you answer my prayers and say, what an amazing answer that the Lord gave to Haman over there? No, they, they're not going to do that if I'm dead, Father. How are you going to do that, Lord? He says, shall the dead arise and praise you? Lord, when, when they lower me into the grave, how then am I going to sing your praises if I'm dead? He says in verse 11, shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave or your faithfulness in the place of destru- destruction? Lord, when my body is rotting away in the grave, will people say, wow, the Lord was really faithful to him. The Lord really loved him. Do you see what he's asking here? He's asking, Lord, how can I live for your glory? How can your answers uh, come to my prayers? And how can those answer to prayers get glory if I die? Now notice, I want you to see this, that, that even though this man is clearly in pain here, This man has not forgotten the reason why he was created. See, those questions didn't come from a place of doubt. Those questions came from a place of faith. They did not come from unbelief. They came from belief. He just can't square his beliefs together. He can't make them line up. He knows that God is sovereign. He doesn't deny that. He knows he was created to glorify God. He doesn't deny that. He just doesn't know how to put what he knows together with what he's experiencing right now. Have you ever found yourself there in the midst of troubles, knowing why you were created, knowing that God has given you all things for your good and his glory, but just not being able to experience that? That's what Haman's going through right now, not being able to line up what he knows with his experience. And so verses 13 through 18, he's right back at it again at the end of our psalm and and, and heading number four, the prayer is still unanswered here, but with Two more searching questions. The questions are, why and why you, oh God? Here comes the unanswered prayer, right? A prayer he's calling out. And and here's typically where you see in all the rest of the Psalms, God answer the prayer, but not here. There's a prayer still unanswered and he's continuing to look for hope that is yet unseen. But now it's accompanied by two more probing questions. I am burdened by you, O God, and I'm still waiting for help, and yet there's no answer. So his questions are, why? Why am I still waiting for help, and there is still no answer? And why you? And that is so interesting. I found that so intriguing as I was studying this text, because often when I'm going through trials, my first question is, Lord, why me? But that's not Haman's question. His question is, why you? What is this for, God, and why are you behind it? What are you up to, God? Because you are up to something in this, and I can't see it. Listen to how he puts it in verse 13. He says, but to you I have cried out, O Lord. In verse 14, 
He says, Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? Verse 15, he says, I have suffered your terrors. And and verse 16, he says, your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. And then down in verse 18, he says, loved one and friend, you have put far from me. See, the psalmist doesn't understand the purpose of why he's being placed in this trial. He doesn't understand his purpose of what exactly is going on. And so his question is, why? God, what are you doing in this? What is this all about? But he also, notice, continually acknowledges who is behind that purpose. God is. He's still acknowledging God is behind this purpose. I just don't understand what it is. Why you? Why are you doing this? Now, church family, obviously, even just from our brief examination of the text, we can learn a lot of things from this particular psalm. We learn that there are not always happy endings in this fallen world, even for godly, wise believers. We learn that there is such a thing as unrelieved suffering in believers' lives. We even learn that very mature believers can experience profound dissatisfaction in this present fallen world. And we learn that some believers go through that and still never give up. All those things, they're very encouraging things that we learn, aren't they? But I've got something more encouraging for you than that from this particular psalm. Because friends, whether you know it or not, whether you experience in this difficult year or not, our gracious, loving, kind, heavenly Father never leaves us without hope, even when we can't see or feel it. He never leaves us without hope. And so you ask me, where? Where is that hope in this particular psalm? Where is that hope found in this words? I mean, we remember how we said at the beginning that this psalmist's feeling, it was not relieved by a single ray of comfort or hope as our commentators have said. So you're asking me, okay, Pastor Cody, where's the hope in these 18 verses we just read? Well, let me show you four things in this psalm that are filled, filled with wonderful, merciful, glorious hope. Things that speak to believers who are in places like Psalm 88 today with this man and to those who believers who are loving people in that place and are trying to figure out how in the world can I be a comfort and not a burden and discouragement in their particular trials. So four things. First, God ordered this lament of Haman the Ezraite. He, he ordered this lament of Haman the Ezraite to be put in scripture and sung in worship to him. Think about that. God ordered this scripture to be put into his canon of scripture, into his word and be sung in worship to him. See, if we could just pull Haman out of history and interview him today and we could ask him, did you know that God put your hopeless lament, Psalm 88, in the Bible and he told us to sing it? See, being one of the wise men of the Near East, Haman, the Ezraite, would know at least two things then were for sure. Two things were certain. He would know, number one, Lord, you did hear me and you did understand me. 
even when I didn't know that you heard and understood me, you said it would go in your book and that people would sing it to you for thousands of years until everything became clear. Lord, you did hear me. You did understand me. And the second thing he would know is that, Lord, there are other people who come to your house with the same troubles that I have, and they need to be able to sing this same song. There are other people who are going through trials, and they need to be able to sing songs like Psalm 88. Lord, you were ministering to others through my grief. My troubles didn't just belong to me. They belong to all of the people of God for their edification and their encouragement. And may I say something? I want to say this respectfully because there are people who will be listening to this on Sunday morning and who are listening to this even now who have experienced things that I don't, I can't even intellectually talk about. I don't even have enough knowledge to ask the right questions about the sufferings that many of you have gone through or even experiencing now. I can't even comprehend them. And if you are there in Psalm 88 with those kinds of troubles, uh, the, the truth of God's word is clear. Your troubles do not belong to you alone. I want to say that lovingly and respectfully, but it's true. God always appoints for us what he means for the blessings of the other people of God. Haman would acknowledge that. If we could speak to him today, and we could tell him that his desperate, ongoing, unanswered prayer was put into the Bible for all of God's people to sing, he would know that we needed to be able to sing this because we find ourselves here. And that others find themselves here, and we have to encourage and edify them, even in the midst of our ongoing struggles. That is a great encouragement. Do not miss that encouragement. The second thing that I think is going to provide you with some hope in this psalm is this. The psalm's one explicit comfort is found in who God is. The the psalm's one explicit comfort, the one little line of comfort he gives in the entirety of these 18 verses is found in who God is. See, the psalm despite its excruciating agony, still clearly knows who God is, and he hangs that one explicit hope and comfort on that point. It's found in the very first phrase. Just look at it. Verse 1, O Lord, God of my salvation. By the way, that's it. That's the highlight of this psalm. It's the high point of this psalm. It goes all down here from there, uh, downhill from there. This is the one explicit comfort that the psalmist knows that his God is his only hope. And he calls him Yahweh, the God of my salvation, Yahweh. See, Many times, church family, in the Christian life, God's answer to our why is not an explanation of his providence, but a deeper revelation of his person to us. I want you to hear that. God's answer to our why most often is not necessarily an explanation of his providence, his plan to us, but it is a deeper experience and revelation of who he is, his person to us. In other words, he will often answer your why with who. When you cry out and say, Lord, why are you doing this? He will answer you by showing you who he is. And if you see him, it'll be enough. 
If you see him, it'll be enough. You may not have answers here or even hereafter, but you will have him and he will be enough for you. So this psalm's one explicit comfort is in who God is. Third, notice this. The third thing I think provides us hope is that this psalm, the psalmist wants to continue to live for God's glory and glorify God even in his trouble and suffering. Do you see that? That's what happened in verses 10 through 12. He wants to live for the glory of God. He wants to live for God. He wants to give him glory even despite his trouble and suffering. He asked that question, Lord, how am I going to live for your glory when I'm dead? He wants to live for God. He does. Derek Kidner said this. He says, this author, like Job, does not give up. He completes his prayer still in the dark and totally unrewarded. The taunt, does Job fear God for not, is answered yet again. There are two things I want you to learn out of this particular point, believer. And one is this. It's really the message of 1 Peter 4, which is our scripture reading for today. I won't read all of that uh, to you now, but just go read 1 Peter 4. It'll be our scripture reading today. And that, the point of 1 Peter 4 is that troubles will come. You will face troubles in this life. It's why this is a psalm for 2020, because I know we've all faced troubles, particularly this year. It's not an accident that you face turmoil, trials, and suffering. It is not outside of God's control. It is not without a purpose. It is not a mere possibility, though. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward, as Job taught us a long time ago. And it's so encouraging for us to remember, because I don't know about you, but when I get into deep trouble, when, when I am in the pit, as I find myself in Psalm 88, what do I tend to do? I tend to forget that God has promised this. I tend to forget all about that. I tend to ask questions like, why is this happening? Something is wrong. God, are you even in control? I'm in trouble. We must remember the Lord has appointed trouble for his people, for his glory, and even for their everlasting good. And the psalmist, though he doesn't know how and why, actually ends up bearing witness to that truth. The second thing I think we can learn from this idea that the psalmist still wants to live for God's glory in the midst of his trials and troubling is not only that troubles will come, but listen to this. Our salvation is proved in our troubles. I want you to hear that. Our salvation is proved in our troubles. The troubles and sufferings we endure rather than calling into question the genuineness of God's love for us, the reality and greatness of his mercy and care for us, they actually prove them instead. That's the message of Romans chapter 8 verse 18. For I not to consider the sufferings of this world uh, to be to worth anything of what's the, to come. You find that there in Philippians chapter 1 verse 29 as well. Listen, our sonship, our adoption, our being the children of God. Friends, it's actually proved in our troubles. It's actually confirmed in our troubles. I want you to hear this quote from Charles Simeon. He says this about that truth. He says, there are some who by God himself are brought into manifold temptations and are suffered to experience much darkness in their souls. And though at first sight, it should seem as if these persons were less beloved of the Lord than the others, the truth is they are often to be found amongst those who are his chief favorites. Whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth. And usually those most who are most beloved. 
Friends, in the midst of your trial and difficulty, could the Lord be speaking his love into your heart in the midst of your deepest trouble? Now, I want to pause right here, and I want to speak to those who may be listening to this who are not Christians. That you have not trusted in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation as he has offered to us in his gospel. I'm so glad that you're tuned into this and I hope you hear this. You may think that us Christians are unrealistic or sort of pie in the sky about our suffering. But I think this psalm will disabuse you of that particular opinion. But I will say this. And I want you to hear this. If you're not a Christian particularly today, I want you to hear this. There is something worse than the trouble spoken of in this psalm. See, it's one thing to find yourself abandoned by your friends alone in this world in deep trouble with only God to cry out to. I was speaking to a brother of mine a a couple months ago at least who had gone through some difficult ordeals and he said to me, "Uh, Cody, there are places in the Christian life where it is just you and God and nobody else. There's no one else that can help you. You can be thankful for a godly wife who loves you and supports you, but you can find yourself in a place where she cannot help you. It's just you and God. You can be in a church where you love your congregation, but but in this moment, your congregation can't help you right now. It's just you and God. But my friends, if you don't believe that there's a God, if you don't think that there is actually a God, or if you live your life as if there is no God, when you get to those places in life, and we all do, I promise you, you will be there. It's just you there and nothing. That is a far worse place to be than the psalmist. Because this psalmist at least knows he has someone to speak to, even if he doesn't hear or experience him speaking back. My friends, this hopelessness experienced by the psalmist was only apparent and it's temporary. There will be a hopelessness for you who are without Christ that is real and never ends. There will be a people who turn their back on God and his son as he's offered to us in the grace of the gospel who will never see the light of the, at the end of the tunnel because there is no light at the end of the tunnel for them. Friends, this is why we're so earnest in sharing our faith, sharing the gospel. Not because we think we're better than anybody, but because undeserving, hell-bound sinners like us have been saved by God's mercy. And we don't want anyone to experience the never-ending helplessness and hopelessness that comes with not knowing Christ. So I just wanted to say that to those who are not believing here today. But I want to find one last thing to encourage us and provide hope in this psalm. And this is really the crux of it, church family. I want you to hear this. In this psalm, Psalm 88, the suffering of this psalm is the suffering of Jesus Christ. Did you notice that? Psalm 88, the despair of the psalm is answered in Jesus' resurrection. There's a song that's dear to my heart. It's called Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted. And I was so continually reminded of that song as I was writing this sermon. The second stanza of Stricken, Smitten, and Afflicted says this. Tell me ye who hear him groaning. Was there ever grief like his? Friends through fear his cause disowning. Foes insulting his distress. Many hands were raised to wound him. None would interpose to save. But the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. It's Psalm 88, but it's about Jesus. And in fact, if you were just to read the account of Luke 23, which is the crucifixion account of the Lord Jesus Christ, you can't help but to see Psalm 88 in that. 
In fact, let's look at a couple places in Scripture particularly where we see this clearly in the Scriptures, the parallel between Psalm 88 and the crucifixion of Jesus and the life and sufferings of the Lord Jesus. John chapter 12, verse 27 is the first place. As Jesus goes into Jerusalem, he's going into Jerusalem for the last time during his earthly ministry. And we're told, he says this in John 12, 27. He says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now look immediately with me to the third verse of Psalm 88. The psalmist says, for my soul is full of troubles. Here we have Jesus on his way to a cross and he's crying out to his father and saying, now my soul is troubled. Or in the Greek, my soul is deeply troubled. Then immediately he says, what do I want to do? I want to glorify my father. Verses 10 to 12 of Psalm 88. His soul is troubled, so what does he want to do? He wants to glorify God. Then look at Matthew chapter 26, verses 38 through 39. Here we find him in the garden of Gethsemane, right? And again, we're told that his soul was troubled even unto death. And we know what he prays, right? We remember what he prays in the garden. He says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you will. Luke even tells us that he sweats as drops of blood. And finally, we know he's going to cry out in Matthew 27, verse 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now listen to the language of Psalm 88 one more time. I'm not going to read it all, but just read some of it. I wanted you to listen to this language. You have laid me in the lowest pit. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. You have afflicted me with all of your waves. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. Loved one and friend, you have put far from me. Jesus says exactly this on the cross to his father. Christian, if you find yourself in Psalm 88 trouble, you are being granted by the loving privilege of your Father just a tiny, tiny taste of what Jesus endured for you to the full. Do you hear that? He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Was there ever any sorrow like his sorrow? In fact, your troubles pale in comparison to the burden that he bore. This psalm is about Jesus' suffering for you. Only Jesus' suffering can answer the realities that are described to us here in Psalm 88. I love what Horatius Bonar said about this passage. He said this. He said, at such a price was salvation purchased by him who is the resurrection and the life. He himself wrestled for life and resurrection in our name. And that price so paid is the reason why to us salvation is free. And so we hear in solemn joy the harp of Judah struck by Haman to overawe our souls, not with his own sorrows, but with the sorrowful days and nights of the man of sorrows. Friends, Haman will stand before the Lord one day and he will blush at the mention of his troubles in comparison to the troubles of his Lord. Troubles that his Lord willingly bore for him. You know how it is, and I've experienced this so much in 2020. You know how it is when you're speaking with someone who's experienced or is experiencing something you have never experienced in your life, and you really just don't know what to say. Well, what will you say to your Savior? You have no idea what he went through for you, and this psalm points you right there. 
And yet, friends, I want to end with one final offer of encouragement. There is even more hope than that. I want you to look with me at verses 10 through 12 of Psalm 88 one more time. Look at these. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Shall your loving kindness be declared in the grave? Think about that. Shall God's loving kindness be declared in the grave? God's answer is resounding, yes. Yes, it will. My loving kindness will be seen in the grave because I'm sending Jesus to conquer the grave so not even death can hold the sting. Not even death can keep me from loving you. Not even death can rob you of the hope that's provided of Christ. What joy, what beauty was Peter's message in Acts chapter 2 when he said, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. That Acts 2 is not about David, it's about Jesus. In Jesus' death and resurrection, God has performed wonders. And here's the beauty of this. All of those friends and family members we've lost this year, God through his, his grace and mercy has even caused departed spirits to rise up and praise him in the heavens. He has declared his loving kindness to you in the grave. It is the darkest psalm of the Psalter, friends, but because of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a hope here that will never go out. Never. Friends, may this be the cry of the year 2020. For many, including myself, it has been a very, very dark year. And listen, I don't know if 2021 is going to be any better, and it scares me. But the hope that we find here that God has given us, has shown us his loving kindness and the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of sinners provides us with resounding and lasting hope in the midst of our difficulties and trials. And friends, this is a hope that will never extinguish, that will never go out, that will be everlasting. And that is why even in the time of Psalm 88, we sing resounding praises to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because he is good and his mercy endures forever, even in the darkest and lowest pits. Would you join me in praying together? Father, Lord, I thank you for this time in your word. Lord, we ask that you would encourage us, that you'd encourage us by realistic, faithful, biblical thinking about the hard places, the trials and troubles of our lives that our thoughts would be controlled by who you are and what you've said in your word as we try to process all the things that we're going through day in and day out. Lord, we pray that in the midst of our difficulties, we would be a witness to you in our troubles, that we would be comforted by you in our troubles, that those who do not have you in their troubles now will not needlessly continue to go through them alone, but will cry out to the only one who can help them, the God of their salvation, Jesus Christ our Lord, that they would be saved and secured in you. So they could have hope, the hope that we have here and hereafter. Lord, it's all these things we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Church, the invitation is very clear for this psalm. It's been a difficult year. But as we always say, grieve and grieve well. Grieve it. Grieve 2020. Find yourself in Psalm 88, it's fine. But friends, the only difference, and it's a, it's a great difference, is we do not grieve as those who have no hope.
what a powerful, powerful word hope is. And only true hope, our only lasting hope, is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished for us. And if you're not a Christian, you are hearing this. I I believe 2020 has been difficult for you as well. If you'd like to know more about this hope and how it can be found, please reach out to us. Please know that while you were yet sinners, Christ has died for you. That Christ has died once for sin, the just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. That Jesus Christ, on the cross of Christ, bore the sins that you have committed on him. If you would place your faith in him and repent of your sins and trust them, you can have this kind of hope. You can have a hope that's everlasting. And that hope will turn that grief into praise. However we can help you, church family, we're here for you. We love you so much. And I want to thank you again for tuning in together with us. May God bless you and may you find this cry of hope encouraging in this year and the next. God bless you.